0: And we're going to, Lord willing, finish our study tonight on uh, a Christian's response to false doctrine and false teachers. How should we respond to it? So we've talked uh, in weeks past a lot about uh, what false doctrine is, how to determine that, um, how to determine who false teachers are, what what characterizes them, and get a lot of information on that. And we've spent about a year, really, delving into examples of teaching, about the importance of. And some people say, well, why major on the issues of doctrine? And the the issue is this. If we are wrong on doctrine, it literally will mean the eternal destination of someone. It is vitally important that we be right on it. And uh, to put an emphasis on doctrine, I think, is long overdue. Uh, Something that we have neglected for far too long. And as a result, the gospel has been... I don't want to say. I don't even want to say it that word. I was going to say the gospel has been watered down, but the gospel itself, in and of itself, cannot cannot be watered down. The gospel is the gospel, but we have watered down our message of the gospel, and we have made it to where we are deifying men. We are elevating men's responsibility in the process. We are de-emphasizing God's responsibility in the process, and uh, we are we are trying to help men feel good about their sin and we've done all this at the expense of doctrine or let me rather say it this way because we have been weak in our doctrine it has led us to this course and it certainly is something we have to be very very careful of and uh, I I don't you know I, (laughs) I fear sometimes that we'll preach so much on the topic that people will be like do you ever preach on anything else but this is such a vital importance that we know what the Bible says on it and so we've spent some time and I think that uh, kind of one of the last things that we have not yet covered is how as a Christian how should we respond to this what is our biblical responsibility uh, to respond second Peter chapter 1 uh, or sorry chapter two verse number uh, one and uh, where we let where we started the passage last week but there were false prophets also among the people even as they're shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in their damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of, and through covetousness shall with feigned words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. We started last week teaching that there are two types of false teachers that are out there. They're both mentioned here in Second Peter. One of them specifically, one of them by way of understanding what they're talking about. Um, and that is, first of all, those who follow uh, false teachers. These folks are not always uh, doing so intentionally. They have been deceived. Uh, the Bible speaks about the fact that many are following after. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 2 of chapter 2. The Bible says, "...and many shall follow their pernicious ways." And so we have uh, two folks that are mentioned here in Second Peter uh, uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2. We have those that are the pernicious teachers, the pernicious ways teachers. And then we have their followers. And the Bible says here, and Peter says here, that many of them will follow them. Now, It stands to reason, uh, and I've met them and so have you, (coughs) that there are people out there that are absolutely wrong in their doctrine. And when they talk to you about the things of the Lord, they uh, share things that we know, because we've understood Scripture, we know uh, that that doctrine is wrong. But they're sincere about it. They believe that it's right. They believe that it's true. And the reason is they have followed after the false teachers that uh, have done so intentionally and for the purpose of deceit. So, you have one group of people that are going to share what they believe in their doctrine. They're going to propagate this false teaching. But they're not doing it out of malicious intent, they're not doing it out of deceit, and they're not doing it for, great, for a greedy gain. They're doing it because they sincerely think they're right. <coughs> now, there is still a way for us to handle them. The Apostle Paul, obviously, before he was saved, was wrong in his doctrine, wasn't he? He was very sincere. And really, if you, if you take time to study and understand this from Scripture, Saul really thought he was doing God a favor. He thought he was being an ardent follower of God by doing what he was doing, but he was wrong. Sincerity is not enough to be right. You have to be right on doctrine, too, and have the sincerity. So I used him as an illustration because Paul's intent, even though it was malicious, even though it led to people's deaths, even though it led to arrests, and we would look at that and say how horrible the man Saul was, he was not doing it because he was trying to be deceitful or trying to be malicious. He genuinely thought he was doing right. And so you have those types of people. It's important for us to make that distinction. Because the Bible teaches us different ways that we are to respond to those than we are to those who the Bible also refers to here in this passage who teach these pernicious ways. Let's look in verse 2 again. The Bible says, And many shall follow there." speaking of these false teachers, their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And so these teachers are out here perniciously and intentionally and spitefully, <coughs> <clears throat> trying to speak evil of truth <clears throat> excuse me they're trying to under they're trying to undermine the truth that we do have and then they're trying to add to the truth that we have into being something that God never gave us. Excuse me. and I want you to notice what their reasons are verse number three. their reasons are for this and through covetousness shall with feigned words, that means just made-up words. They they come up with things. These folks that say, boy, I was I, I was uh, uh, meditating in the Lord the other day, and the Lord spoke to me, and He gave me this for, for 2023, and this is going to happen. And they start saying, I've got a prophetic word from the Lord. Those are made up. They're made up. I will go so far as to say this, and in, in studying some of the New Age movement, some of this new apostolic reformation stuff that's permeating a lot of religious groups today, I genuinely believe that there are devils that impact the minds of some of these people that are not saved and that give them these insights and they do, I believe, really do experience something. There have been enough of them that have come out of that and gotten saved, that will give you testimony to the fact that when they were in that, there was something real about that. But it wasn't of God. And we need to understand, we are involved in spiritual warfare, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize some things today, but folks, I don't know if you and I put enough understanding or uh, realization that Satan is actively at work in our world today. And he can't be everywhere all the time. He has uh, his devils that follow him. And they do impact and even possess the minds of unsaved people and the hearts of unsaved people. And the Bible tells us, and Peter was the one who said it, uh, that sometimes even Satan's ministers are given and shown as ministers of light so that they can deceive those that are trying to hold to the truth. And they'll look like religious leaders. And they'll sound like religious leaders. And they'll, they'll in every part be lauded as Christian leaders. And yet they are nothing more than the works of Satan. So these false teachers that Peter speaks of here are those that make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And then God gives, we studied this Sunday in Sunday school, but God gives three illustrations here. Of, of what their judgment is going to be. This group, this final group, uh, the group that is the, the pernicious folks, the folks that are greedy of gain, he talks about their judgment. And he says there's three illustrations. He says there's uh, the angels in heaven that rebelled. He said God did not spare them. The old world before the flood, God did not spare them. Sodom and Gomorrah, God did not spare them. And Peter goes on to say, and, and the teaching of this was and this is going to be the end of these teachers also. God is not going to spare them. There is going to be destruction for them. So, it's very important that we understand these two types of things. Now, that being said, then, how do we respond to... We gave you some uh, Scripture last week, and I'm not going to go through the whole teaching yet, but I do want to give you the quick Scripture of it. Uh, How do we deal with those that... uh, I'm going to say... I hate to use the word ignorantly because they're not always ignorantly, but they have at least been deceived. Let's put it that way, I guess, would be a better word. They've been deceived into believing false doctrine or false teaching. And as such, they regurgitate it, they teach it to others too, but they do it in a heart of sincerity. They really think they're doing God a service in doing this. How do we deal with them? Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 15, I gave you last week. The key there is that we speak the truth. Uh, for far too long, people that have been sound in doctrine, when they've talked with people who differ in doctrine, they don't speak up. They don't tell somebody about the truth. Uh, I had a preacher stop by my house this afternoon, and uh, we had about an hour or so uh, just to fellowship and spend some time over at the house uh, for a little bit this evening evening uh, before church. And um, we we enjoyed the the time together. And he and I both were... um, familiar with a situation uh, where something was said that was doctrinally not correct and uh, I, I was talking with him and he said you know I I don't know that it would be my place to try to correct and I told him I said you know I, I don't mind at all uh, calling up a fella that's that's gotten up and spouted doctrinal incorrectness and saying hey brother let's go to lunch and fellowship and enjoy the time and then bring the conversation to the point and bring it to bear. I say I don't have a problem with that in the world because the truth is we need to be right on doctrine. And I would never come into his church and blow his church up and try to make a big mess in there, but I would think that most preachers have a heart to be accurate on Scripture. And I would hope if I was wrong on it that somebody would come and sit down with me and say, let's look at Scripture and see if we're really on the right page here. I don't know that everybody has that same spirit, but I believe that it is the responsibility of those that are biblically sound that for those who are not intentionally spouting false doctrine, they just they sincerely think they're doing right, that we need to speak the truth to them. We don't need to keep our mouths shut and say, well, that's between them and the Lord. Well, it may be between them and the Lord, but it may cause someone else to be taught something that will send them to a devil's hell. And so it does need to be spoken of. It, it, we are to, Iron ought to sharpen iron. Uh, when it comes to these things of doctrinal, and, and certainly I understand the idea of having a right spirit and right, uh, right uh, uh, care of it, but if you look at Ephesians, in fact, let's just take a minute and look there. I'm not going to re-preach it, but I do want you to see it. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's just look and see what Paul says here in verse number, um, down as we get down to verse number 15. We see the purpose of the church, basically, and the purpose of pastors in verses 11, 12, 13. But notice in verse number 14 of Ephesians 4, he says, That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So we know he's talking here about doctrine. By the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So we have that group. But we're trying to grow up into Him, and these folks that are following after that that don't know the doctrine, this is how we're supposed to deal with them. Verse 15, But speak the truth. Speak the truth. At some point, we have to open our mouth, and something's got to come out in in speaking the truth about false doctrine. But he adds two words here that I think are so important. In love. These are not the people that you'd break them across the coals and drag them down because of their doctrinal error. These are folks that sincerely think they're right. They want to be right. Their desire is to be right. They're just wrong. And they need somebody to come alongside of them and say, Brother, I, I'm telling you this because I love you, and I want to make sure that, that you might want to look at this closer because you're wrong on this doctrine. I've had people do that in my life over the years. I am so thankful for people that have done that in my life. Sometimes we've looked at it, and I've had to make a change. Sometimes I've looked at it, and they've had to make a change. And a few times we've looked at it together, and both of us had to make a change. Because it is important. And we live in a society where we are so worried about not wanting to hurt somebody. And I, trust me, I'm not out here to try to hurt somebody for the sake of hurting somebody. Those of you that know me know my heart is, is bent toward not hurting people. I've been hurt enough for a thousand people and I know other people have too. I'm not out to hurt people. But we must, we must, we must, we must speak the truth. And if the truth hurts them, there's nothing we can do about that. But we can do it, we can do it graciously. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 <clears throat> verse number 24. We need to speak the truth in love. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, the Bible says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Now, he's speaking here specifically to Timothy. He's giving some instruction, especially about spiritual leadership in the church. So he's speaking here about uh, men that would be in leadership position in the church. But he uses the phrase here in verse 24 as the servant of the Lord. And so it is applicable to every Christian that is doing the work of God. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. So there needs to be a spirit of these folks that are sincerely wrong, uh, but they are sincere. They love the Lord. They want to be right, but they're just wrong. We need to be gentle with them. We need to be careful with them. And then we need to be apt to teach. That's an interesting phrase. There's an awful lot packed into that. Apt to teach is not just having a natural gift to teach, but that we are fully equipped and prepared to teach. That there is there is a teaching nature about us. Um, that comes not only from God putting it in our hearts to speak the truth in love, but it also comes from us being well equipped in God's Word. Uh, how do we how do we deal with folks that teach false doctrine that are doing it out of uh, naivety or um, uh, just just ignorance or or just not understanding? We need to know our doctrine well, and be be apt to teach them. Be equipped. Be prone to do it. Be ready to do it. Have the ability to do it. Have the desire to do it. And that we, we treat them gently. And notice what he says here uh, in verse 24. Also, the idea of being patient. And he says here in verse 25, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. They don't even realize it, but they're opposing themselves. They're actually teaching things that are harmful, thinking they're doing God <coughs> a service. If, peradventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. This is, this is Paul telling Timothy, listen, you're going to come across some of these people. Uh, if you come at them swinging an axe, grinding your, your stone on them, uh, not going to be real successful at that. These people are sincere. They really think they're doing God a favor. They don't need to be lamb blasted. They don't need to be drug over the coals. They need to be treated gently. They need to be taught the truth. And you need to be patient with them. If peradventure, God will help them come. And he says this in verse number 25. will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive of him uh, by him uh, at his will. And so how should we treat these folks? This group, we're to treat them by speaking the truth in love. We're to instruct them. And when we instruct them, there needs to be a gentleness. There needs to be an aptitude of teaching right doctrine. There needs to be patience, and there needs to be a spirit of meekness. This is the instruction that God has given us in dealing with people who have been ensnared by the devil in this area of false doctrine. And then there's one other thing that he tells us in Titus chapter number (coughs) 1. Titus (coughs) 1. Excuse me. Titus 1. Verse number 9, he says, "...holding fast the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers." So here's a third one uh, that we're told how to deal with them. First of all, you and I must be able to hold fast to our doctrine, to the faithful word. That is vitally important. Cannot express that enough. But he also says this, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince. So we've got to be able to give uh, strong, declarative, uh, established, foundational statements of sound doctrine that are found in God's Word. Uh, Again, I was talking to a pastor this week. And it's amazing how many times and how prone we are to preach our opinion of truth rather than the truth. Um, I looked up the word exhort in the Webster's 1828 Dictionary because we rarely in normal conversation use the word exhort anymore. And somewhere along the line, it used to be in common use. It's probably not as in common use as it used to be and we kind of we kind of have a sense of what exhort means or exhortation means what is what is it that paul is teaching titus here about exhorting those that need to be corrected in this area <coughs> webster's 1828 says this about the word exhort it says to advise to warn to caution to advise to warn And to caution. This is our response towards those that teach false doctrine who don't know any better. They followed after false teachers. We need to advise them about it. We need to warn them about it. And we need to caution them about it. Paul uses the word we need to exhort them. We need to exhort them. And then he says that we need to not only exhort, but to convince. This is this is pretty easy for us to understand. You ever you ever had a difference of opinion with someone? If you're married, obviously I'm sure you have, because sooner or later you're going to have a difference of opinion, and both of you think you're right. If you didn't, you wouldn't have that opinion. Nobody likes to hold on to a wrong opinion, and so you enter into we don't call them arguments, but sometimes uh, discussions that get a little higher in the decibel level. And the purpose of the dialogue that raises in intensity and in volume is to convince the other of your point of view. In other words, you don't just say, here's my point of view. The other person says, here's my point of view. You disagree, and then you say, okay, and you walk away. You spend time belaboring the point, trying to drive home the point. This is my position Here's why my position is right. Now, in most arguments, we can say, here's my position, and the reason I think I'm right is because I think I'm right, and there is no authority to that. But when it comes to the issue of doctrine and convincing people of right doctrine, we say, I'm going to teach you what is right, and my authority is not because I think so. My authority is because here's where it says it, in God's Word. And the idea of convincing means that you don't just... And I I brought this to bear a little bit last week. I I fear sometimes when we have a differing point of view on, on doctrine that we tend to say, I don't want to deal with it. Don't want to have this discussion. I believe what I believe. You believe what you believe. We're okay. Let's just go our ways. That's not the right attitude, nor is it the right spirit, nor is it what God expects Christians to do. There is one truth. There is one Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us in all truth, and as Christians, we ought to have enough Christian grace among ourselves to say, you know what? We obviously have a differing of view here. There's only one truth. I think we can both agree on that. Let's both go to prayer in the Holy Spirit and ask Him to show both of us. Let's come together. Let's look at Scripture together. Let's find the, the doctrine together, and let's let's get a unity on doctrine. God's God's. God's issue dealing with conflict of doctrine in Scripture was never to say, you need to just each have your own faction. It was always to let's all come together in a spirit of unity around doctrine that God gives us. Now, we don't compromise, but we do seek for us to all be right on the same doctrine. And that is the spirit of unity that Christ speaks of here. Very, very important. So, these are the ways that we are to treat those that group of people. Alright? So, we've finished that one now. Let's move on now to the rougher part of what's coming. And that is, there are those who are for greedy gain, for covetousness, for gaining merchandise of you. They they long to have wealth. They long to have fame. They long to have status. There, It is all based in their pride, in their ego, in their old nature, I would go so far as to say I do believe that based on the authority of Scripture, I don't believe this is my opinion, that because the Bible says that so many of of Satan's ministers are portrayed as ministers of light, that many of this type of false teacher are not saved. I believe they are lost. I, it is not for me to judge in a point and say that one is and that one's not. But we can certainly understand an idea based on their fruit. The Bible teaches very clearly that you can know many times a person's heart by their fruit. So how do we deal with uh, these who intentionally uh, they, they, go after, uh, they go after immature Christians, naive Christians? That's their goal. And the reason they do so is because it's it's easy pickings. It's the low-hanging fruit. And so they try to find people who are gullible, who don't know their Bibles, who are just going to follow what somebody says and never check it with Scripture. That's, that's what they're going after. Let's look in Titus once again, uh, chapter 1. And we're going to begin where we left off here with how we treat those who are sincere. And now we're going to move on to those who uh, are deceitful and... Uh, Peter refers to them as brute beasts. And I like his, his description of them. Verse 9, Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gamesayers, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcisions, and here's the first thing, whose mouths must be Stopped. Their mouths must be stopped. It doesn't say make an effort to. It doesn't say you ought to try to. Paul tells, tells Titus, Titus, they must be. The mouths have got to be stopped. The reason is, he goes on to say, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. They said it of themselves that they're this. Wherefore, here's how you stop their mouths. Are you ready? Paul tells Titus how to do it. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply. That's a big difference from speaking the truth in love, isn't it? There's a stark contrast in how we deal with them. One has a sense of gentleness. One has a sense of compassion and the fact that we desire to see them come to a repentance in the full knowledge, acknowledging of the truth. The other is these folks are greedy. They're out here intentionally subverting whole houses. They're doing it on purpose. They've got to be stopped, and the way to do that is to rebuke them sharply. Now, let me help you with something here. It's going to be very difficult to rebuke a false teacher sharply if we are not well-grounded in our doctrine. We've got to be able to give defense. We've got to be able to have authority to stand on. And just because Pastor Greg at Keith Heights Baptist Church taught me this on Wednesday night is not authority. I'll tell you that right now. That is no authority. But this book is. And we must know our doctrine from it. We've got to stop the mouths. And the way that Paul tells Titus to do it is, you rebuke them sharply. (coughs) I've heard people say, well, I just don't get mixed up in correcting some other uh, pastor or church that's out here in doctrinal error. And boy, I I just don't like that. If they're of this sort... It is our responsibility. I don't have a problem calling out the Joel Osteens or the Jesse DePlantis' or the Kenneth Copeland's or the Joyce Myers'. I don't have a problem calling them out and rebuking them sharply. I don't have a problem if they were ever to come into my presence or I had an opportunity to stand eyeball to eyeball with them to call them out and rebuke them sharply face to face. I would have no problem doing that. I would not take joy in it, but I would not have a problem in doing that. But it's what must be done in order to stop it. And this is one of the methods that Paul teaches Titus. And if somebody gets involved in rebuking sharply someone that is in this, and somebody criticizes them for rebuking them sharply, take them to Titus 1. Say, what this person is doing is biblical. It's what God has instructed us to do with these type of teachers. We're following what God has instructed us to do in this area. I'm all for gentleness. I, I, saw a, I saw a clip or a meme or something here in the last week or so. It might have been on Facebook or something. I can't remember. But it showed a, a picture of Jesus driving out the money changers out of the temple. And the caption said, Jesus, you're not being Christ-like. Because we get in our mindset that Christ's likeness is nothing but acceptus, acceptus, acceptance and forgiveness and love, and it's nothing but that. Now, while Jesus certainly gives us love and acceptance and forgiveness, He is also just. And He is also holy. And He does draw the line. And He instructs us in Scripture that there are ways we treat those who are doing it ignorantly and those who are doing it naively, and then those who are out here for the purpose of gainsay and destruction and to devour houses and to uh, subvert whole houses, we are to treat them differently. And the Bible gives us clarity on this. Let's look in Titus chapter 3, just a couple chapters over, because again, he's going to deal with a little bit further uh, about how to go about this rebuking them sharply. So, Titus chapter 3, and let's look in, uh, let's start in verse number 10, be fine. Let's start in verse 9. Verse number 9. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. A man... That is an heretic. Okay, so this is someone who is teaching something that is of a false doctrine. and heretic, okay? A man that is an heretic, after, notice this, the first and second admonition. What's the next word here? Reject them. We're to rebuke them sharply. We're to do it at least one time, we know. Paul tells Titus at least two times. And after the third time, we reject them. We say they are not even a religious leader. They are not a teacher of the gospel at all. At that point, I think it would be safe to say that you warn people and say they do not teach the Word of God. I don't care how popular they are, what kind of books they have written, what television shows they have. I think it would be easy to say after that first and second admonition, that the rejection is we as God's people turn them out as teachers of God's Word. They are no longer to be given any status of authority in teaching God's Word among God's people. They are to be rejected. They've got an opportunity to repent and to turn to the truth at least two times here. And if they don't take advantage of those, then they are to no longer be in a place of teaching over God's people. That's pretty strong words. That would probably cause a great number of pastors to be put out of their churches and put out of their ministries. It's something that we must get back to. And we must hold to. And if we would ever get to this place again and God would prolong His coming, I believe we would see Christian nations coming around again. I believe we would see the pulpits of God's churches becoming ignited with the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. But we have so neglected this and we've allowed these churches to creep in in our our society and we've done it with the idea of, well, we want to not hurt any feelings. We want to love. We want to be accepting. We want to be And we'll use this term to excuse it. We want to be Christ-like. Well, if we want to be Christ-like, then we're going to do what He's told us to do in response to it. And to do anything less than what He's told us to do in response of it is not Christ-like. After one or two admonitions, He says this, that we are to reject them. They are no longer to ever have a position of teaching at that point uh, over God's people. They are to be Blamed to the face. That's what the admonition is. Uh, they're to be reproved with the intent of trying to reclaim them and draw them out. The, the, the admonition is not to, to turn them out yet. It's to say, get right or we're going we're gonna to reject you. We're going to turn you out. Get right or we're going to turn you out. And this is the biblical pattern. As much as uh, going to a brother personally on, a, on something they've offended you on first, then if they don't repent, take two or three witnesses. We know that. And then if we don't repent, you take them to the church. There's a process spelled out for that. This same process is given, or a similar process is given here, for how we are to treat men that get up and teach false doctrine as religious leaders over the house of God, over, over God's people. All right, right, uh, Second John chapter... Uh, let's see here. That is not the right verse, but let's see <laughs> Let's go to Second John. Go go to chapter two if you can. Anybody got Second John chapter two in their Bible? It's only, there's only one chapter, so I I got down here. John, I put down Second John ten. I thought, man, I didn't put the verse here. Then it dawned on me. There's only one chapter, so I only put the verse down. <laughs> so Second John, and we're going to go to verse ten. Second John chapter ten. if there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine receive him not into your house neither bid him Godspeed. we are not to and, and the idea of this is the idea of fellowship in, in that doctrine uh, link arm in arm with be in agreement with uh, we don't bid him Godspeed speed we don't say there, there are people that I love that are of different Denominations, different doctrinal stands that are dear friends of mine. I love them. <clears throat> I don't mind having lunch with them, doing things like this. But if they invite me to one of their meetings, I'm not going to join in because I cannot be in agreement doctrinally with them. Nor can I say, I'll be praying for your meeting or I hope you have a good meeting because I cannot be in doctrinal agreement with them. And so we don't condone the doctrinal error. We don't give encouragement to the doctrinal error. Uh, We don't say, well, I know we all disagree, and God will just sort it out when we get to heaven. Until then, let's just all join together and get along. No, no. I will be friendly to someone that differs in doctrine with me. But I cannot and must not. And I believe that uh, John speaks here very clearly of the fact that when it comes to doctrinal differences, there has to be separation in practice and ministry. You say, Pastor, that's divisive. That's not encouraging. That's not bringing people together in unity. Well, then let's go and admonish them With the doctrine, let's sit down with Scripture with them. Let's try to show them, give them one or two admonitions. But if they're not going to do it and we reject them, I'm not even going to bid them Godspeed. I'm not going to invite them into my house for a Bible study. I've been to some Bible studies before and throughout my life, where I legitimately thought through the through the sharing of true doctrine from God's Word and showing it and and everyone I've gone into in in the last 10 or 15 years at least, I've always gone into laying a ground rule with the people that were there that I'm only going to discuss things that are found from this book. And I'm going to use the King James Version, not any other version, to make points. And I will do that so long as there is still room for admonition and coming to truth. But when a point comes where you realize that the rejection is there, there is no repentant to the truth of true doctrine. To where they're saying, I know that that's what your Bible says, but that's not right. At that point, you have to say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not going to have you in my house. I'm not going to bid you Godspeed. If you want to go get a bite and eat, and go fishing or something as a friend that's fine but I'm not going to join with you in doctrine. We cannot, we cannot and must not allow those false doctrines to be intertwined and intermixed with true doctrine because all it's all it tends to do is to water down those that have held the true doctrine. So how do we respond to these? We rebuke them to the face. After one or two admonitions, we reject them. And then when it comes to the place of rejection, we've we've gotten to the place where they're unrepented, they're not going to come to the knowledge of true doctrine. We're not even to we're not even to fellowship with them spiritually. We're not to deal with their doctrine and the Godspeed uh, to wish their, their ministries well. We're to turn them out. Uh, I hope that'll be a help to you. Even in the rebuking. It can be done because we care about that person. But more important than caring about that person, we need to make sure that we care about the doctrine being right. And I'm not going to water down rebuking somebody on false doctrine simply because I care about them.